<laughs> oh my gosh. It's time for the show. Um, where is everybody? Um, just you wait and see the worlds of music from the Silly Symphony. Presenting the Great Movie Ride. This, as you may recognize, is a maintenance service elevator. Still in operation, waiting for you. Ready when you are, Raul. <laughs> w. my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 440, and I'm here once again to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, videos, blog, live video broadcasts on Facebook, special events, books, audio tours, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com and subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. I just returned from speaking at a conference in the Philippines last week, and on my way there and back, I was fortunate enough to have a long layover in Hong Kong. And you're probably saying, why is having a long layover a good thing? Because when in Hong Kong, you go to Hong Kong Disneyland. And this week, I want to share not just my experiences in the park, but take you through every land, attraction, entertainment, and, of course, dining experience and compare and contrast Hong Kong Disneyland to Walt Disney World and Disneyland in Anaheim. We'll also share tips on when to go, how to get there, and how to get the most out of your time in the parks. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney, Hong Kong Disneyland, prize package, and then stay tuned to the end of the show as I'll have more information about upcoming WDW Radio events in Walt Disney World and on the road. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. I was invited to speak at a conference in the Philippines. And after about 20 or so hours flying from Orlando to Los Angeles, laying over and then Los Angeles to Hong Kong, I finally arrived in Hong Kong. And the first thing that I saw in the airport was the Hong Kong Disneyland store. And for some reason, I was giddy as a schoolboy when I saw it and what I saw inside there. And I had remembered talking with a friend who visits China quite often and his instructions and really reassurances about how and why I should go to see very nearby Hong Kong Disneyland during a very long layover on the way back. I did. I took his advice and it was an experience I won't soon forget. And it is one that I want to share with you. So joining me this week is that certain friend who gave me the confidence, guidance and direction to visit. And uh, coming back to the show once again is my friend Frank Hart. Uh, Ni hao. Yeah, ni hao to you, Lou. Which I hope means hello, because I was saying it to everybody in China. <laughs> <laughs> it does, it does. And uh, thanks for having me on. And I think I only knew about ni hao from some Disney Channel show, like ni hao kai lan. So that's, uh, that was the ni hao and shei shei is the extent of, uh, of my Chinese. 
Well, if you know those two, you can get by. So that's that's really what you need. I did. I made it there. I made it to Disneyland, and uh, I, I made it back. But you, um, you go to China a, a lot uh, for work. And when I said that I was going, the first thing you said was, "Hey, if you have a layover in Hong Kong, you you need to go." And visit Hong Kong Disneyland. And admittedly, I was very nervous. Um, I was traveling alone. I was concerned, even though I had like a nine hour delay about leaving the airport, getting to Disneyland, getting back, getting through customs. What do I do with my bag? Um, you know, but you and another friend of mine, Jeff, who uh, his family is from China, was like, yeah, man, you can do it. You know, Hong Kong Disneyland is about a 20 minute ride to the airport. But he he warns like, take the blue cab. Don't take the red cab. Don't take the green cab. You need to take. I was like, don't cut the red wire. Take cut the blue wire. That's right. Don't take the red pill. Take the blue pill. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it, uh, I'm glad you were able to make it, um, you know, and that we gave you the confidence to do it because, yes, it is uh, a quick trip away from the uh, from the airport. It's easy to get to. Um, it's actually easy to get to from anywhere in Hong Kong because they have the uh, the MTR, which is the Metro line uh, you know, subway system that goes directly there. There's cabs, there's taxis. So access to Hong Kong Disneyland is easy. And like you said, from the airport, it's only about 20 minutes. Yeah, and everybody at the airport was was very very helpful too. I had a carry on bag, and there's a place that you can go. Just it's called Left Baggage, where you check in your bag with your passport. Um, they take it and they charge you, you know, very little to hold the bag throughout the day. And there was actually a screen that sh- it sort of was a, a little matrix that said if you're going to Hong Kong Disneyland, you can take the red, the green, or the blue. I knew to take the blue. And as we were saying before, it's a very organized system outside. There's a section to load for red, the green, and the blue, the the Lantau cabs, which I think you said stay on this island that really houses Hong Kong Disneyland and the airport. Yeah. So there's different the different cabs, and they can explain it when you're there. But basically, red and green going in, into the city. Uh, the red goes into more Hong Kong Island, and uh, the green will go out to the New Territories, which is you know a little bit farther out um, outskirts of uh, of Hong Kong. And then, uh, like we said, the Lantau Island is is the blue, and that's where the airport is. It's where Hong Kong Disneyland is. It's where uh, uh, I think it's the Pulong Monastery. I think that's the name of it uh, is also there. And that cab will kind of take you. It's a big touristy area. So if you're in Hong Kong uh, Airport, make sure you take blue if you want to stay there. It's just easier. Uh, I think it has something to do with how the uh, the taxis um, get paid as far as their rate. Uh, regarding the blue does not leave the island, so they have a different kind of rate. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's easy to do. This it's very well marked in the airport. Uh, it's very easy. All that there's English signs everywhere. A plus side to Hong Kong with it being under Britain rule for so long is, you know, there's a lot of English and a lot of English speaking people there. So usually it's pretty easy to get around. Yeah, and everybody for the most part, especially in the airport, spoke English. There was no real language barrier, so my questions were very easily answered by the Hong Kong information desk where I was leaving my bags. And then when I asked about the cabs, they said, yes, you're going to need Hong Kong dollars. Um, There are uh, exchange kiosks and exchange uh, currency exchange booths throughout, um, and I was able to use my American credit card in order to get Hong Kong dollar, although I still don't know exactly what the exchange rate was. Um, you know, that the cab ride was about $15, which is like 8 million Hong Kong dollars. <laughs> I don't know. It was like maybe 150, I think she said or so, um, Hong Kong dollars to get there. Yeah, uh, the exchange rate right now, give or take, and it fluctuates obviously, but it's anywhere uh, in the sevens usually. Right now, I think it's about seven and three quarters, seven seven five. 
Um, so you just keep that in mind. It's easy to be afraid of certain things when you see the price. You're like five thousand Hong Kong dollars. That's like, <laughs> yeah. but when you put it in perspective, it it, it does put it. Um, you you can figure out what it is. But yeah, um, there's currency exchange places, and obviously, um, I've used just my debit card in uh, in some of the ATMs to get Hong Kong dollars out as well. And within the uh, within the main terminal, there's also ATMs where you can pull out currency with your uh, debit card for other countries, depending where you're traveling. Yeah, it was really helpful because I, I didn't want to get into the cab and then him not tell me that he doesn't take American American Express <laughs> and then I run into uh, then I run into some kind of a problem. But yeah, it was um, it was such a, it was a really wonderful experience. And then when I saw the sign as we were traveling down the road on the wrong side of the street, as I saw the sign <laughs> that said Disneyland, because again, a lot of the signs are in English as well. I uh, I immediately felt confidence, and I will tell you, man, I was like. I was giddy. Like, I felt like a little kid going to Disneyland for the first time. Like, I had this big, you know, as you go under um, sort of this this giant welcome to Hong Kong Disneyland archway, and you can immediately tell as soon as you get on Disneyland, uh, Hong Kong Disneyland property because of the landscaping and the grounds. Uh, it was a really neat experience, one that I obviously haven't had since I visited Disneyland for the first time as, as a relative adult back in like 2005 and it was neat to feel that way again visiting a new disneyland park for the first time yeah absolutely um you know i had the same feeling my first trip i took the mtr which is their subway line in hong kong and uh they have a separate line uh that goes there and the actual subway cars have mickey mouse shaped windows and all the handles are little mickey heads and uh so it's very cool it's already kind of themed to disney and you definitely feel like you're already getting that Disney magic as soon as you get on that rail, and then it drops you off at this beautiful, you know, train station that is just so elaborate and has that Disney touch. And you walk up, and and I, I believe the taxis probably drop you around the same area, but you know, you walk down a long courtyard towards like a giant fountain as you walk towards Hong Kong Disneyland. And this fountain is huge. It's got Monstro the Whale, and it's got Mickey shooting out the top of his blowhole, and. Uh, you, you just instantly am knowing that you're being immersed into this new uh, Disneyland, and it's very exciting. Yeah, man, it was interesting, uh, and I did get dropped off around that same area, and I saw the train station, which it was beautiful and almost had this sort of modern Victorian uh, look to it. And you do sort of walk yeah. down that long walkway under the the Hong, Welcome to Hong Kong Disneyland sign, and I did notice, and it was even more beautiful at night, Um that they, uh, the the fountain that you have to walk through, and then you obviously go over to the gates. And the other thing I had noticed too, which again, coming from Florida was <laughs> relatively foreign to me, is just how um, the the park is surrounded by mountains. And, and even though it was was overcast and a little you know gray that day, which as you say is sometimes common, um, you you know the berm in Hong Kong Disneyland is much bigger than the berm in California. Yeah, it, once you're actually in the park, uh, you feel like you are in some mystical place that's in the middle of mountains because you look down the the down Main Street and you see the castle, and behind it is a is a giant mountain, uh, you know. And they're they're full, you know. And the mountains there are obviously green and grassy and 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 full of trees. You know, they're not like a big rocky mountain, but it's uh, it makes a beautiful backdrop to that park. Yeah, because you you think Hong Kong or or my maybe original thought of Hong Kong when I was that it was going to be surrounded by giant skyscrapers and, and in a very sort of um, you know busy part of, of of Hong Kong, but it is sort of 
it's almost isolated. You know, it's on this area on, on Lantau Island called Penny's Bay on a, about 123 or so acres, which we'll talk about the size in a little bit. But it, it does, it, it very much felt isolated from the uh, the massive towering skyscrapers and apartment buildings and office buildings you pass on the highway on the way there. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's part of the the beauty of it is, you know, they accomplished that in such a, uh, you know, like you said, very metropolitan area in Hong Kong. There's buildings there that, uh, you know, they call it a small little apartment complex. And I, you know, I'm from St. Louis and it makes St. Louis look tiny, you know, and these are just apartment (laughs) buildings for, you know, a small portion of their city, you know, and uh, to be able to isolate that busyness and that bit of the city in, in it's just amazing how they did that. Yeah, and and like I said, man, as I was walking up to um, the guest relations window to to get my ticket, that's really when I started to get that um, that that excitement. You know, you could start to hear the music and things like that. And you know, I, I bought a uh, a one day ticket, which was it's about regular admission is about only seventy dollars for the day. Again, compared to what you pay domestically, and what I didn't realize. Is that um, and at this this promotion's going to expire at the end of March, but I assume it's one that that comes back occasionally. Is that I took Cathay Pacific, which if you're flying to Asia, and again, Frank, this was your advice. Cathay Pacific is an amazing airline. I mean, far and away the best flight experience I've ever had, and the food was amazing, and the service was exceptional. But they had a promotion that called the In Transit Easy Pass ticket, where if you brought your um, if you brought your uh, boarding pass, you would be, get a, a ticket for half price, and they would store your luggage for you. Yeah, and that's that's a great perk right there. And you were telling me about that. I wasn't even aware of that ticket package that they had. So that if you, it show it goes to show, you know, make sure you ask because there are those kinds of uh, uh, partnerships with some of the airlines uh, with Hong Kong Disneyland. Uh, to get guests to go there uh, because it is so close to the airport. And uh, like you were saying, um, definitely if my recommendation, if anyone's thinking about going over, Cathay Pacific is, is one of the best airlines and it is a, a, a one world partner with American Airlines. So if you have status with American Airlines, you're going to get the same mileage and perks. But um, but yeah, the ticket prices, like you said, are about $540 Hong Kong dollars, which is about 70 bucks U.S., you can get a two-day ticket for about ninety-five dollars U.S., uh, which is also um, you know a steal for. And really, you could do the park in a day, but you probably could you know spend two and uh, really get into the details because there are a lot of interesting things to see there. And uh, what I always find, and I wish we had these prices still at home, is is their annual pass prices, which they call the Magic Access price. Uh, with Hong Kong Disneyland really being a locals' park, you can get a um, a entry level annual pass, which gets you into about they say about two hundred days a year. Uh, it's one hundred thirty nine dollars US wow. is the equivalent. <laughs> so, um, you know, I wish we still had that option here. Uh, and, and even their goal or their platinum pass is only three hundred eighty five dollars, and that includes twenty percent off hotels uh, and dining, ten percent off merchandise, and uh, free parking, and a, a bunch of other perks. So. Uh, definitely, uh, some opportunity there. Uh, even if you thought, you know, like me, I go to China a couple times a year. If I had time to do it, I'd probably just get an annual pass. Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome if you had annual passes to uh, Hong Kong <laughs> Disneyland. And the thing that I noticed too, and as we start to talk about the the, the size and, and whatnot, is well, first questions first. Is there a because you've been to China a number of times? Is there a better time of year? 
either weather-wise or, or crowd-wise? Because I will tell you, man, I went on a day that was slightly overcast, probably about 70 degrees, which was perfect. You didn't have that blazing sun in your eyes. It was, it was great for photos. It was even misting just a little bit, which kind of kept it cool, but not overly humid. And the crowds were incredible. I mean, we'll talk about the attraction. Everything was pretty much a walk-on or a five-minute wait. Yeah, as far as uh, weather-wise, Hong Kong is typically hot. It's uh, Florida hot, you know, with the humidity and it's warm and you're going to sweat. It, that's usually how Hong Kong and, and Southeast China is there, how, Southeast Asia. Um, but this time of year was particularly cool. I, I haven't seen it this cool in a while, especially in the Hong Kong area. Um, but uh, usually this time of year, early March, February, it, it is cooler. And it's uh, so if you were going to go, this is kind of the time it's almost equatable to Florida where, you know, this time of year is nicer in Florida. Uh, and if you think about it that way, um, you can kind of plan your schedule weather wise. Yeah, I uh, I got very lucky. And having come, look, I I, came, I come from Florida where I understand that it's hot. And I've been to Animal Kingdom in the summer, so I understand really hot. But I also <laughs> went to the Philippines where it's like stupid hot. Like people in Animal Kingdom are going, man, it's really hot. Like it's exceptionally hot. Like you are on the equator, which is like four steps away from being on the sun itself. So I was really happy that I got a, <laughs> a, a nice cool day to walk around the park. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, definitely. This time of year um, is is an ideal time to go. And uh, as far as crowds, it, it does tend to be more of a weekend park uh, where a lot more of the locals will be there on the weekend. So if you're able to plan your trip uh, and go during the week, you will find those lower crowds. I've been to Hong Kong Disneyland several times and I've been on a Saturday and it was busy and I've been during the week and it's been slow. And like you said, uh, most of the time when you go during the week, you are able to kind of walk on. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it worked out well because I did only have a very limited amount of time, relatively speaking. I was able to see the whole park, but but to your point, I, I wish I almost could have spent two days there. Because in terms of, of relative size, it is the second smallest of all the parks. The, the park itself is only about 68 acres, and uh, Disney Studios Paris is 62. To, to give you a sense of scale, California Adventure is about 72, Disneyland's about 85, Our Magic Kingdom here at Walt Disney World is 105, so it gives you a sense of um, of the, the size, although I will tell you, as I was exploring more, you know, when you first walk in, you get a sense that it's small, but then when you start to go over to places like Grizzly Gulch and Mystic Point and Toy Story Land, it, it, it started to feel a little bit more expansive than it did when I first walked in. Yeah, it's definitely tight, um, you know. Everything is, is is much more compact. I mean, even like Fantasyland uh, feels very small. There's only, what, three major attractions there, I think. Small World, the Teacups, um, Winnie the Pooh, and Philharmonic, so four. Um, you know, so if you compare that to, you know, Disney World, which has so many more, you know, attractions in just that area alone. Um but yeah, it's uh, but you're right. Once you get out into Grizzly Gulch, it does feel much more expansive, and and they've added a lot to the park. So even since when it first opened, you know, Grizzly Gulch is is new. The Toy Story area is brand new. Mystic Manor is brand new. So if you can imagine, even w- when I first went at the five year anniversary, and now they're celebrating ten, 
you know, some of that stuff wasn't even there. So um, it felt much tighter and smaller even back then. Yeah, so Grizzly, Grizzly, Mystic Point, and Toy Story Land all came in, in 2014, so they're relatively new, and they certainly feel that way, you know, when you get uh, into, although the park itself still feels new. But yeah, in terms of numbers of attractions, again, comparatively speaking, Hong Kong Disneyland currently has about 29. To put it in perspective, Hollywood Studio, well, I won't say Hollywood Studios because that's changing a lot, but Animal Kingdom has about 20, Epcot has about 24, uh, California Adventure has 36, Disneyland has 49, so it gives you a sense of of just how much there is to do there. But, you know, I, I almost put a little bit of a, a caveat there because when we think of attractions, I don't necessarily just think of something that you get on and ride in because there was a lot of little areas that I liked where you can sort of, um, you, you know, wander and explore like little gardens, like there's the fairy tale forest and fantasy gardens and um, in Adventureland they had... Uh, or no, by, by, I don't remember what, what land it was. They had sort of the, that little garden of wonders. So there was like three or four little areas that, you, that I think you consider attractions but aren't necessarily, um, you know, get in line and, and ride on. Yeah, those little gardens are nice. And yeah, you're right, it, the Gardens of Wonders by uh, Mystic Point. And uh, yeah, they, they have other attra- things that maybe we wouldn't necessarily call an attraction uh, when we compare it to Disney World because they consider even like the Sword and the Stone an attraction at Hong Kong Disneyland uh, and the little tikis that shoot water at you are an attraction. But, you know, again, for, for what this park is, uh, you know, and I have several friends who live in Hong Kong, you know, this is, this is where they go out to play because if you look, if you know Hong Kong, I mean, it's city street after city street. There's some small park areas, but it's not like, uh, you know, New York where you can go to Central Park and spend a day and there's wide spaces, you know, to actually get out somewhere where you have a place to play and wander. That's hard to find in that area. So um, a lot of locals will come here and enjoy those gardens and have little picnics and, you know, just explore some of those areas that maybe we uh, sometimes take for granted that in like Disney World. Yeah, and I love that. And obviously, you know, the, the first thing that you notice um, when you walk in, even as I walked and was getting my ticket um, before you enter the park, is just how much it felt like Disneyland in terms of the train station and the scale, even before I entered the park and certainly once you get onto Main Street USA. But obviously, um, there there's a heavy asian influence there and there was a lot of deliberate choices in terms of design to integrate asian and and chinese culture into the design and the feel of the park but obviously you know like you said it's primarily a locals park um you know just i i i I was one of very few what appeared to be uh, americans that were walking around um in there so it it very much is a um like a locals park as opposed to maybe a tourist destination. So I can understand why it was important to, as Disney always does, to integrate the the culture uh, of where the parks are. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously Main Street is Main Street. When you enter the park, it, it definitely feels like Main Street USA, like you would expect to see uh, with, you know, some obviously some touches of the culture of Hong Kong. But um, really, I think one of the areas that, and I'm sure we'll discuss this, and I can't believe it's taken us this long to get here, but, uh, <laughs> you know, is the food. And the food is one of the major differences in this park compared to all the others is, you know, it, it's, it's much harder to find more Western food here than it is, uh, you know, Hong Kong or Chinese food. 
Oh, we'll get to the food. Don't you worry. Because <laughs> um, that, I will tell you, that was one of the things I was most excited to see. I, I love Asian food. Uh, we were saying before uh, about the, the flight, you know, I, on the um, on the Cathay Pacific, usually for the, the breakfast and the dinner services, because remember, it's a 14 plus hour flight from L.A., um, they usually had like an American style meal and they had an Asian style meal. So I loved having, you know, noodles and dim sum for breakfast so i was very very excited to see just how different and oh baby it's very different <laughs> once uh, <laughs> once you get into the park yeah the food is uh the food is definitely different but it's uh if you're adventurous and i don't want to say adventurous but um if you're willing to be open-minded and try some of the new styles you can find some foods that are uh you know extremely good and again this is disney quality food you know so you know that the food is going to be good it's going to be fresh um, and you know, for me, a lot of times when I go to the park, I'm going at the end of one of my two, you know, two week China trips. So when I go into Tomorrowland and they have the place with the burgers, I'm like, oh, I'm getting a burger, you know, but <laughs> right. that's because I've been eating Chinese food for you know, two weeks already. But, uh, there are the opportunities to have some Western cuisine there too. So, you know, you don't have to be afraid of, oh, you know, well, I don't, some of the food scares me or I don't like seafood or. Um, you know, because being in Hong Kong and that part of China, it is very seafood based, a lot of their diet. Um, but, uh, there are Western meals there as well. Yeah. There was nothing that I, I didn't feel, you know, safe or comfortable. And I, and I tried to think about people who did have either dietary restrictions or maybe were not as adventurous, but listen, before we get to the food, I want to get to the, to the attractions because I want to spend sure. uh, an inordinate amount of time certainly on, uh, on the food. Uh, but I will tell you, it was really neat to see how, and I was concerned about this, just how much is in English, uh, even as the, you, you just about to step uh, under the train station. And again, the layout is exactly the same. And there's the, the, the flower Mickey out front. <coughs> Excuse me. But the uh, they hear you leave today and enter the world of yesterday, tomorrow and fantasy is both in English and in Chinese as pretty much 99.9% of the signage was throughout the park. Yeah, and that's actually one of the. Uh, I was flipping through my photos, you know, before we had our talk today, and uh, yeah, it's actually like the fourth picture I have is is that sign. You know, it's the fact that there there's that classic sign, and it has English and Chinese translation, and yeah, and most of the park is in English. You know, especially um, or and in and in Mandarin and in Cantonese sometimes. So uh, they'll have three versions in certain areas, especially in like menus, uh, but. Uh, it's it's very easy to get around. You'll feel like you're at home when you go in that park. You don't feel afraid. Everything's very familiar. And uh, it's interesting. I know we're talking about the attractions. So like the Jungle Cruise actually has two versions. There's an English version and there's a Mandarin version. <laughs> and you can ride it different ways. And I've ridden both. And they're both interesting. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. And I'll get to the Jungle Cruise quickly because I really enjoyed it. But even when you step on Main Street um, – all of the buildings, you know, it says Main Street Cinema, it says now playing it, you know, everything, all the signage on Main Street USA, which feels very much like Disneyland's Main Street USA, is all in English. So had the color palette not been different, had you not seen the mountains in the background and had the street, it, the street actually felt much wider, um, but you would almost... Um, it it, it makes a direct comparison between the Hong Kong Main Street USA and the Disneyland from the buildings, the facade. Again, their arcade is uh, Disneyland's arcade is sort of the carriage house here, but they have you know that same type of lattice work. They they had the sweet shop, they have the cinema. So 
uh, even the cigar store Indian. So it felt very much like a slightly modified version of Disneyland. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you said, it's very familiar, but still there's, you know, it's a little different. The streets feel wider. The buildings feel a little squattier, mm-hmm. maybe a little shorter. And I don't know if that's because of the perspective of trying to make the mountains in the background feel bigger or, you know, obviously there's a reason why they did it. But, um, you know, and even the street is all brick which is, you know, very interesting and, and you know, something kind of unique, which gives it like more of like a, uh, you know, like a historic downtown feel with that brick, brick road going all the way up to the castle. And the one thing I have to say that I noted when I walked in and I noted it as I walked to the park and I, as I walked out and bears mentioning is this park is spotless. Yes. I mean, every inch of this park is complete. It looks like the park just opened that morning. Like, yes, it's amazing. Yeah, it it definitely is, and and I've looked when I've gone, you know, and I've been like, oh, there's got to be something, a scratch on the trash can or something. There's nothing. This park is always spotless every time I've gone, and uh, you know, just like at Disney World, you know, they have the cast members walking around, always cleaning, but it it is amazing how clean they keep this park. I, I mean, and I don't know if it's. Um, <sighs> If it's a cultural thing that that they're very maybe very very extra respectful of the park or the cast members, but I mean not even like a pile of leaves in the corner. I, I was just sort of looking around for something. Like I'm like, there's got to be you know, there's got to be a, a chink in the armor somewhere, and I did not see it anywhere at all. I mean, even the 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 landscaping and the horticulture and the flowers are just spectacular. You know, as you walk over uh, to towards the Sleeping Beauty Castle, which looks very much like Disneyland's. They don't have a partner statue, but they do have a Mickey and a Minnie and all these sort of uh, little three-dimensional floral vignettes, which are just beautiful. Yeah, and uh, like I said, I haven't been there in about two years, so the last time I was there, they had a giant Sorcerer Mickey statue in the middle, and I don't know, if, is that still there? Or? No, this time they had a, okay. um, a far, like a Farmer Mickey Oh, okay. So I, I had heard that it rotates from my friend who lives in Hong Kong, who goes quite often. She said that it, it, it usually changes. So, uh, and I think that's kind of a neat twist, you know, something different. Obviously, we always want to see the partner statue because of what it means. But um, it is interesting that, you know, they want to keep some freshness in the park and some things rotating. Yeah, they had a, a floral, they had a, a mini under sort of a floral heart. They had a Pluto in his doghouse. So the layout of their hub is, um, is slightly different than what you see in the other parks. But again, and, and I have I have photos which I'll post in the show notes. So if you go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, you'll find uh, my photo gallery there. Because that's really what I was doing. I was being such a tourist, like running through as fast as I possibly could while trying to save it all and take as many pictures uh, as, as possible. But uh, sort of going sort of land by land. Again, there's seven lands here. Um, there is Adventureland, Fantasyland, Toy Story Land, Mystic Point, Grizzly Gulch, Main Street USA, and Tomorrowland. So they cram a lot into a, a relatively small space. Um I had my map with me, although I had no sort of destination in mind. I just felt that since it was my first time there, I needed to walk through Sleeping Beauty Castle and go into Fantasyland. Again, man, it was that familiar but different in terms of a lot of things reminded me of stepping into Fantasyland from Disneyland Sleeping Beauty Castle, but not all the the same attractions were there. So their attractions in Fantasyland include Cinderella Carousel, Dumbo the Flying Elephant, 
the fairy tale forest, which is a walkthrough, a fantasy gardens walkthrough outdoor uh, attraction. They have a, um, a Disneyland Railroad station, Small World, the Mad Hatter teacups, many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Mickey's Philhar Magic, Sleeping Beauty Castle, the Snow White Grotto, and like you said, they consider the Sword and the Stone an attraction, sort of an outdoor type character um, experience. But so, how do you compare? their fantasy land versus either world's fantasy land or Disneyland's? Um, I would call it intimate because it's, you know, it's, it's tiny, it's, it's small, but, uh, you still have a lot of that, uh, you know, some of that same character where, you know, Philhar magic is still kind of, um, the exterior looks, you know, sort of that German, uh, European look, you know, kind of like Pinocchio's village house has in uh, Disney world. And uh, the carousel is still very familiar. It's very similar to the carousel of ours. Uh, I didn't ride the teacups, uh, but again, you know that very similar in, in style. And uh, yeah, it's just um, it's it's quaint. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to put it. Yeah, it is. And and I I also because I had limited time, I bypassed things like the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I didn't ride Dumbo. I didn't ride the carousel or see. Philhar Magic, which again, like I saw in Tomorrowland, there are shows in um, that are in English, and there are shows that are in Chi- um, that are in Chinese. I unfortunately missed the English version of a show in Tomorrowland because I only had specific times. But I will tell you, one of the things that I loved about their Fantasyland was, believe it or not, man, I loved the walk through Fairy Tale Forest. Um, this little garden that had it's almost like the Storybook Land canal boats, but as a walkthrough type attraction um, a lot of little photo opportunities little vignettes of scenes and some stuff that are actually animated and that, that had music and it was really nice uh, I, I like those types of very simple experiences and, we, and you know now as I think about it it's ironic because the very first thing I ever rode when I went to Disneyland was the Storybook Land Canal Boats and the very first thing that I did at Hong Kong Disneyland was the Fairy Tale Forest oh yeah that's uh that's pretty cool that's a cool coincidence um yeah it's uh you know I rode um, I rode Winnie the Pooh. It's basically the same as it is in the other parks. Uh, not too different there, uh, you know. But Winnie the Pooh is a big um, is a big character overseas, so that's why that ride got some precedence. You know, because they don't have Peter Pan, which you would think you know they would have. You know, Peter Pan's flight that's like a standard, right? But they don't have it. Um, but uh, you know, um, the ride I was thinking of is uh, Philhar Magic, and you mentioned it earlier. Is it's on a rotation, so you know the first show is in English, the second show is in Mandarin, and um, if you get a chance and you have time while you're there, try seeing them both, especially if you're familiar with it, <laughs> because uh, it's funny when you can't understand the language, but you can still see the reactions, <laughs> and you kind of know what's going on. So that's a that's that's a fun experience too that maybe you wouldn't get somewhere else, you know. I did. Um, I did ride it, and man, I really, really liked their version of "It's a Small World." Yes. Again, so familiar, uh, but it's a little bit different. Like Disneyland, they do have the Disney characters um, scattered throughout the different scenes. But one thing that that's I, I maybe unique to here, or maybe they do it in some of the other Asian parks, is as you enter the different rooms, I felt that some of the rooms were much grander in scale, especially vertically, but they also have placards saying this is the Far East room, this is the America's room, this is the Asian room. Uh, not that you couldn't tell as you went through, but I thought it was interesting that they had those signs there. But I loved, I really, really liked their version of It's a Small World. 
Yeah, their version is great, and uh, it's uh, very much like Disneyland, where you know you ride more in that trough. It's not all, you know the all open water like Disney World is, um, and also the exterior of their Small World is amazing. It's you know very reminiscent of Disneyland, but it almost has. Um, even more of a grand scale because you get a little bit of a, a sneak peek of it as you walk towards it and you have to kind of walk under the train uh, tracks to actually get to Small World. So you get a nice big reveal uh, when you come out from underneath. So it's almost like Small World's a land of its own in, in, within Fantasyland. Yeah, I, I don't know how to, um, and maybe if you see the pictures uh, that I post, you'll, you'll get a sense of what I'm saying, but the rooms just felt more expansive. They felt wider, they felt deeper, um, mm. So that when you got the reveal of the next room, it was really interesting to see um, uh, just what w- was coming up ahead. And there were, I felt that there was a lot to see in there. Um, I don't know how it compares in, in, in scale, but you're right. The exterior is beautiful. And it reminded me sort of geographically as you go in Disneyland, as you would go into Mickey's Toontown, as you walk under the train, that's sort of where there it's a small world is. Yeah, that's a great comparison. It's almost exactly where it is and almost the same same idea where you get an idea that Toontown's back there, but then once you finally get underneath the train tracks and get out on the other side, uh, you get the big reveal of what it is. And even the queue for the inside is is beautiful with uh, lights and lattice work and um, – you know, it, it's it, it's similar to the outside of Disneyland, but you don't load on the outside; you load on the inside. Yeah, and and like you said, it was neat to see the the huge mountains um, behind it as well. Yes, yeah, and it just they they did such a good job of playing the the mountains into the the scenery where they don't feel uh, you know obstructive, but they feel like part of Disneyland. It almost felt fake to me and what i mean by that is it the same way as when you walk into radiator springs and you step onto route 66 in california adventure and you see the cadillac ridge behind you it's a facade you almost felt like this was this very different very forced perspective facade way off in the distance yeah it definitely does and it's uh it's amazing how how well they they put this park into that area and and something else i want to we can talk about too that is is um uh neat about this park and I saw it a lot this was one of the first times I saw a character as I was walking um, about to go under the train tracks out front was Merlin um, a very tall very skinny Merlin just sort of wandering around you know greeting guests and and chatting with guests taking uh, a lot of photos out in front but um, you know we can talk about this too that there are characters seemingly everywhere throughout this park yeah, they get. Uh, there's a lot of walk around characters in this park, and uh, you know, again, uh, culturally different. Um, you know, Stitch is a huge character over there. You saw, I saw Stitch all the time when I was when when I'm in the parks. Whereas, you know, with us, maybe a lot of people would wish Stitch would go away. But uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it's uh, it's amazing how many characters are out there, and the princesses are out, and they're easily accessible. And the princesses uh, are, are all Western, you know, girls who are brought in to to play these characters for them in those parks, and it's all very authentic. You would feel like you're seeing the same princess there that you would see in Disneyland, and they're uh, they're so true to what the character should be, and uh, like like you said, but the characters are very free from uh, free roaming, like they are at Disneyland, as opposed to like Disney World, where you almost have to wait, you know, in line to see every character. You could turn the corner and there could be Pinocchio and he's just, you know, hanging out and waiting yeah. for you to come up and say hi. 
<laughs> yeah, and the um, there were always people, you know, people online for characters, but there were never excessively long lines for them. And people were, it seemed to be just uh, naturally very respectful of other people's time. Uh, it wasn't like, hey, only 17 more pictures, and can I get one with this kid, but not with this kid? And um, <laughs> So the lines seemed to move very, very quickly. Yeah, I think they do a good job over there with uh, with taking care of the characters and making sure that it, uh, it doesn't become that, that line feel. So uh, when I first stepped into Fantasyland, um, I, I did it just because that's sort of how I, I naturally felt um, to go. And also when I looked to my left, I didn't see the Crystal Palace and an entrance into Adventureland. So <laughs> I went straight, but I, I knew the first thing that I wanted to go to see and do was something that was very unique to the park and something that everybody, you included, had said I needed to do, which was go to Mystic Manor. So I had to sort of find my way there. Look, I, I was typical tourist, right? With a camera in my iPhone in one hand and my very long, like the map, when you you unfold the map, it's like six feet wide and two feet deep. Um, (laughs) But I had to find my way to Adventureland because you expect entrances and and attractions to be in certain locations and they're not, right? So I had to sort of walk back my way through and find one of really only um, one way sort of into, you know, Adventureland. And it felt, you know, the entrance way felt uh, very similar in terms of the in terms of the archway in order to get there. But once I stepped in, it felt very, very different to me. I mean, it's very tall and lush, and I, you know, I was it was just about um, getting close to, to dusk, and there's tiki torches everywhere, and almost the the centerpiece I felt maybe when I walked in was their Tarzan's treehouse. Yeah, it's a def- it's definitely a, a very lush and dense area. But again, that's kind of more to the area of Hong Kong. You know, you'll get a little bit more of this tropical feel. But uh, but yeah, instead of where Tom Sawyer's Island is or should be is is Tarzan's treehouse, and it is kind of the the centerpiece of this land. And uh, it's it's this amazing treehouse that's uh, you know it looks very overgrown and and almost like just like you would see in the film. And it's a uh, like a deluxe version of the 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 uh, versions you have in uh, Disneyland, and then also the Swiss Family Treehouse at Disney World. Yeah, and and I was disappointed that I didn't get to go and see it, just because again, time was was working against me. The park closed at eight forty five, and I had to get back to the airport, and I wanted to make sure I gave myself enough time <laughs> to get back to the airport, not knowing what I uh, I was doing. But I loved their. Um, I love their adventure land. I love the the feel of it. And I loved as I was getting ready to take a picture of the tiki uh, of the um, the tiki torch with the the treehouse behind it again all lit with real gas tiki torches. The jungle cruise boat went uh went by right ahead and I was like, "Oh man, like that is very cool." And one of the last attractions I did was their Jungle River Cruise which was really interesting, man. It it had sort of a feel as you're loading of Disneyland's version, but you're right. There are separate entrances if you want English or if you want a Chinese version. Yeah, and uh, depending which one you pick makes it very interesting. <laughs> um, I've done both, and you know it, it, it's funny because the English version they still do the puns sometimes, but they're not as they're much not as fun. Like, they're so not funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, it almost seems like uh, they they know that, so they've toned them down a little bit. Too. Yeah. So uh, they they keep it. Uh, they're 
they're like funny haha but not you know you know but uh yeah it's it's still an amazing ride and like you said it goes past Tarzan's treehouse which is kind of unique so even the jungle cruise gets exposure to you know whereas in like Disney World it's kind of tucked off to the side and the boats are you know you feel a little more enclosed some parts of this ride feel much more open yeah. and expansive which is which is very interesting but yeah it's uh it's fun and it if you ride the Mandarin version, it's even more fun. <laughs> I wish I could have gone back and done it a couple of times. I wish I would have seen it during the day, and then I wrote it in um, in the evening. But it was very interesting to hear, like you said, the English version, because it was less punny and tried to be more funny. Um, as you, you know, some of the jokes we come to expect, where you're, whether you're in world or land, just aren't there. So when you're approaching the hippo, he's just yelling, hippo, hippo, look, there's a hippo. <laughs> It looks like my mother-in-law, <laughs> you know. So, like that was the extent. So it was funny when it maybe wasn't, you know. It was funny for different reasons, but I loved, um, I loved how different it was, and I loved the final scene because as I was walking through Adventureland, I had seen off in the distance um, this this sort of explosion of fire, and I was wondering, oh, and I'm looking on my map, going, wondering what attraction that was, and it was actually the the finale scene which has, um, you know, a, a giant rock waterfall and fire, and it's very, very unique to that specific attraction. Yeah, it's definitely a very unique ending. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, like, give it away, you know, for anyone who's going <laughs> to ride on it. But, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, 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 it's awesome. And, you can, and like you said, you can hear it when you're in the parks, and you can kind of get sneak peeks of it when you walk by certain areas of Adventureland where – you know, you, you hear the explosion and you see water geysers shooting up in the air and uh, it, it uh, makes it more of an adventure ride in the end, I mm-hmm. guess, which is, uh, you know, again, something you're not expecting on the Jungle Cruise. Yeah, it um, it was it was very cool for uh, for a lot of different reasons. And like you said, I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to uh, to write again. But really, really, the uh, the theme and I think because it was so lush, it had a ve- it didn't feel like the attraction was only 10 years old. It felt like those trees were just there forever. And, it, you know, if you look at pictures of early Disney World, and I remember going as a kid, how sparse the, the trees and the foliage was and that eventually it started to, to grow in. This does not feel like that at all. Yeah, I'd be curious to to see or if if you could look it up online, you know, like how much of that foliage is, is still uh, is the original that was still there when they built the park, and that they just carve into it uh, because that's how it feels. To your point, it feels like it's been there for you know decades. Yeah, and I'm and I'm really sorry that I didn't get to go up into Tarzan's treehouse because as much as I enjoyed the treehouse experience of just the, the simplicity of walking through, I'm sorry that I didn't get a chance to look at just the different vistas from the top of the treehouse overlooking the park itself. Yeah, I, I've actually myself have not gone over there uh, a lot of times because I am on more limited time like you were. And uh, like Tom Sawyer's Island, you do have to take a raft to get over there. Um, so, you know, you have to kind of plan accordingly if you want to go spend an hour over there or not. And, uh, you know, I wanted to explore other parts of the park, but, uh, from, from, uh, from Adventureland and even walking over into like Grizzly Gulch and other areas, you do get a good 360 degree views of, of, of that treehouse as you walk around. Yeah. And you really do have to go through Adventureland in order to get to, the park expansion, right, which is Twisteryland, Mystic Point, and Grizzly Gulch. It's on the opposite side of uh, of the train, and you sort of you can almost really tell because you have to walk under a trestle, and there's a sign 
announcing those three areas. And the first place that you encounter if you if you follow that way is Grizzly Gulch. And unfortunately, the uh, the, the, the signature attraction there, the the Geyser Gulch. Um, um, what is it? no? It's not Geyser Gulch. It's called the Big, Big Grizzly Mountain Runaway Mine Train. Uh, was, yes. was closed. Yeah, and that uh, I feel bad that you didn't get to ride that because that's actually a really cool attraction. Um, it's a great combination of I would say Everest and uh, Big Thunder Mountain is probably the best way to describe it. Where you, uh, it's an extremely smooth roller coaster. It does go backwards for a little bit, like Everest does. The you feel like you're in an old um, you know Western logging mill. Basically, where and uh, when you board and and then you're going into the mines and um, it, it's it's so well themed and there's these animatronic bears and they're like helping you out during the ride and at the one point uh, you know almost like Everest where the train goes up and stops and the track looks broke on this one the bears are holding up like some falling uh, braces for the mine and and then the explosion happens with some TNT and you go backwards and it, it's it's a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah, I uh, I was really impressed as I was walking through the land itself as to how well-themed it was. It doesn't feel anything like Walt Disney World or Disneyland's Frontierland. I, I don't know how, and I'll, I'll just only have pictures to sort of uh, illustrate, but there are a number of freestanding buildings, and there's a jail, and there's a dry goods store, and a saloon. Uh, unfortunately, I had to just sort of walk through it because everything was closed, um, because the, the main attraction was closed. But I really liked how well-themed their Frontierland or, or their version of Frontierland called Grizzly Gulch was. Yeah, it's it's very well-themed. And uh, I don't know if you got this feeling too, but the the attraction, Big Grizzly Mountain Runaway Mine Cars, which is a mouthful, but uh, <laughs> it uh, it's so expansive, that, that attraction, that it does kind of dominate the land. But it also feels like when you look at it, you almost feel like you're looking at like pictures of Utah. Did you mm-hmm. kind of get that vibe where it's like you're almost looking out because of the way they have it themed and kind of the icon of the ride uh, is kind of off in the distance a little bit. It has a very expansive feel, uh, which makes you kind of have that, you know, like, you know, Western expansion, uh, you know, the wide West feeling when, when you are there, even though it is a smaller area of the park. Yeah. So what I had noticed was not necessarily a, a, a geographical sense, but if you look at Big Thunder Mountain in, in world or even in land, the, the first thing you notice is how tall, right, the, the attractions are. The first thing I noticed about this was how deep it was. You yes. see lots of intersections of tracks that go in and around the mountain. And the, I, I don't know, the sort of, um, I, I don't know what it is, but there's all the, like way in the back and the top of the mountain is sort of a covering. It's sort of like a, a mining uh, instrument is there. And it seems so far away and not in a force perspective like Beast Castle and Fantasyland, but it is far away because it, the attraction itself is so deep in, in terms of how wide it is. Yeah. And yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. It's, uh, it's exactly how it feels. It feels expansive. And uh, it, it, I think it's very well done. Yeah, and I was uh, I was really sorry that I didn't get to see it. Um, but what they did have there, to um, you know, so that so that the land didn't seem empty, was there was a ton of characters. Um, there were Chip and Dale there again in sort of their version of uh, frontiersy, outdoorsy, you know, eighteen hundreds Wild West um, gear. Yeah, I, I saw Chip and Dale. Those are the only ones I saw last time I was there. But uh, my friend, like I said, she said that they're. 
uh, if you ever want to see characters, that's a great spot to go. Yeah, it was pretty neat. I, I, I'm, I'm, it's really too bad that the attraction was down. But I will tell you, man, I was really making a beeline to Mystic Point because when you say Hong Kong Disneyland, chances are no the people who are describing it to you won't take a pause or a breath before they say you need to go and see Mystic Manor. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to see what you say about it because <laughs> when I was there last time, it was three days before it opened. So I did oh, not get I have man. not gotten a chance to ride it. I've I've seen it and the building itself looks beautiful. It's amazing. Um but yeah, I have I have not gotten a chance to ride it. So I had heard um I had heard a lot about Mystic Manor, but really I did no research ahead of time before I went there. I, I wanted to be completely uh I wanted to just grab the map and go and experience it firsthand before I saw it. But they don't have a haunted mansion there. They don't even have their, you know, wherever our haunted mansion would live. Mystic Manor is um is sort of maybe their version, but it's very, very different. First of all, the building itself, the entire land itself is beautiful and is mm-hmm. is centered around the story of this person whose last name just happens to be Mystic. Um, the, 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 the architecture on the outside of the building, I don't know if you, if there were scaffolding up when you saw it or whatever yeah, you no, saw. Yeah. It, it was pretty much almost done. That's why I was really disappointed <laughs> when I didn't get to write it. So yeah, no, it, it, it's beautiful. It's very ornate, almost, um, it almost looks like Russian a little bit, with like yeah, some of the it's dome. like a Queen Anne, you know. So if you're yeah. familiar with Victorian uh, Victorian era architecture, it's very sort of Queen, very delicate on the outside. Yeah, I mean, it was just beautiful in the colors and it, nothing like you've seen in any of the other parks. Yeah, and and look, we can do. I could do an entire show about the attraction. I, I certainly don't want to spoil it, but what I loved about this is it's very. Um, it's not a. It's, <sighs> It's not about ghosts at all, right? And and it maybe is a, um, a a cultural thing because of how the supernatural is viewed in in the Chinese culture. But it's very it's a very light, whimsical. If you've been to the Adventurers Club, in uh, in Walt Disney World, that's the immediate sense that you get uh, from this attraction because it really is all about these. Uh, antiques and antiquities and them sort of coming to life and the story of Lord Mystic and his little, very adorable um, uh, monkey assistant who takes you through. But the there are while there are references to the Haunted Mansion that and some certain things you'll see they're familiar, like there's a changing portrait of Medusa and there's a conservatory and things like that. Um, it's a combination of animatronics not just in figures but the artifacts themselves come to life and that's sort of the story is that one of these uh, one of these artifacts is opened and it brings these other artifacts to life and the special effects are amazing i would hmm. dude i had a smile on my face and was laughing out loud and um it, I, I was even paying attention to the music in the background which i found out later on um was I believe it's from Danny Elfman, so it's it's the 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 show starts as you approach the building and it carries all the way through and there's uh, like a music room and an Egyptian room and this amazing um, Chinese salon where again I don't want to spoil it but you get the sense that you're in um, almost like a tornado 
right? And everything around the room is moving on the walls. And and the ride system is one that it, you're almost in a, a vehicle that reminds you of like a um, a four-seater Toy Story car or like a Winnie the Pooh car, but there's no track. Hmm. There's no track at all on uh, on the ground. But you... It, it's in English and it also is it's it's a dual language so you're able to easily follow along I was really concerned about that but it is one of far and away one of the most beautiful and brilliant attractions Imagineering has made anywhere wow well now I know what I'm going to do during my <laughs> September trip <laughs> I'm going to book a day to go to Hong Kong Disneyland just to go ride this then yeah uh no, that sounds it sounds amazing. It sounds like the um when you were describing the ride system, kind of like uh the Winnie the Pooh ride where uh during the uh bounce with ticker part, it it does not stay on track. It kind of free floats yeah. and that uh I think that's a newer technology that uh they've they've developed, right? The Imagineering where it doesn't stay on the track, kind of follows magnets in the floor and um it sounds amazing, so yeah, I'm excited. In the to go load see area, that. when you look down, there's just no track at all. You know, even like uh, Ellen's Energy Adventure has that very thin guide wire. Here, you mm-hmm. don't see anything. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best thing you can say. It's just it's awesome what Imagineering's doing, and uh, I hope something like that uh, can make its way down into the states. And the thing that I that I loved and I immediately um, noticed was the connection between this attraction and other things that we are seeing in other parks domestically. So if you are familiar with the Society of Explorers and Adventurers that you'll find at Tokyo Disney Sea, you're now starting to see over not total unintentional pun. You are starting to see in places like Walt Disney World and Disneyland, a la Skipper Canteen. There is this real sort of society that they're trying to bring to life that is pervasive through all the parks. So the Society of Explorers uh, and Adventurers is is referenced in here. It's referenced in uh, places like uh, Skipper Canteen. So I love how they are able to connect it all. And look, even when you go to the restaurant across the way, um, the restaurant is the Explorers Club restaurant. Yeah, and I'm going to have to try to find it and uh, send you the picture. But when I was, uh, not my last trip, but the trip before when I went, uh, when they were first announcing Mystic Manor, it actually said the uh, uh, society uh, invites you to check out the new manor. It was like this whole uh, pamphlet that was previewing what Mystic Manor would be, and it was all about that that society um, basically promoting it as a new part of their of their culture it was it was very i gotta find it so i can remember exactly what it says uh it's stored away in some of my many boxes from moving but um i'll I'll find that and i'll I'll send you the picture but that was pretty pretty interesting so even back when they were you know first announcing the ride how they tied that in and you just reminded me of that yeah and even the exterior um the, the grounds and the area are an attraction itself there's um a Mystic Point Freight Depot where they have all these huge artifacts that you can take pictures like a giant Poseidon head. And that's where that Garden of Wonders is too. This sort of a very simple, no-cue walkthrough garden with some of those, um, you know, archaeological antiquities and lots of different types of illusions and stuff as well. So the attraction, quote-unquote, bleeds out into the land itself, which I really, really like a lot. 
yeah, I'm definitely excited to check all of that land out because, like I said, it was all um, still closed off when I was there. But uh, I've seen photos online. I've seen some of my friends' photos on Facebook when she's gone, and it looks amazing. So I went from there uh, somewhat reluctantly because I wanted to just ride Mystic Manor over and over again. Um, I went from there to Toy Story Land, mm. one, because I wanted to see it, and two, because I wanted to get a sense of what was coming, uh, at least in some part, to Walt Disney World um, in terms of the attractions and the theming of the land. And they really have three main attractions. They have a toy soldier parachute drop, which reminds me of some sort of a, an old time Coney Island parachute drop, the slinky dog spin, which is a sort of whimsical take on sort of that carnival attraction where, where there's music playing in the background and just sort of spins around on a track and goes forward and back. And the thing that I really needed to go see was the RC racer, which is sort of based on, you know, like the old Mattel Hot Wheels orange track. And if you sort of uh, took the giant circle and cut the top off of it, you would sort of make your car go up and down until uh, it would just use sort of, you know, uh, centripetal force to do it. And, and normally, like if you go to a um, like a, a carnival or a fair, there's like the giant pirate ship that sort of swings up and down. It's that same type of thing, but instead it's on a track. I don't normally ride it, but I had to do it. I had to give it a shot. I will tell you something, man. Again, no weight. I was able to sit in the front car and I had a physical sensation that I have never felt anywhere before. I was just pure like joy and laughter. And when I got to the very top, I felt in a very good way that my innards were just going to like explode out my chest. It was such a unique but fun feeling. It's a short, short attraction. I mean, maybe it's 30 seconds long, but um, it was a lot of much more fun than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's probably the best description you could have given it is is kind of like those pirate boats. But yeah, it, it is uh it is a lot of fun. It's just, you know, it is a more of a kid area, the Toy Story Land. I guess they would consider that their their Toontown or a little more kid-friendly area cuz most of the rides are well, at least Slinky Dog and the Parachute, but they're they're all um pretty short. What is it? The Toy Story is you only have to be 32 inches or taller. Um so again, it, it's pretty pretty short. Um but the uh, the RC racer that 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 ride for as short as it is, it felt longer. It didn't feel short. It felt like you were on there a good amount of time, and uh, it, it was a fun experience. The Slinky Dog is fun too. I wrote I wrote them all just to say I did. Um, you know, the the whole area does have a very carnival kind of feel to it, and uh, I'm curious how they'll handle it when they move it to Disney World. Um, and it's also very tight, right? That yeah. this area of the park is literally attraction right on top of attraction. Yeah, and it, it it I see what you mean in terms of it being um, much more attractive to kids. Um, and I even love the fact that on on either end of the entrance, they sort of have the uh, the the Woody on one side, and I don't remember who was on the other. Sort of like Barkers, sort of calling mm-hmm. you in and 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 talking to guests as they came in. Um, which I think is, especially for a place like Hollywood Studios, is going to be a nice addition because I don't think that there was a place in there that really spoke to kids the same way, especially young kids, right? Sunset Boulevard, Tower Tower, Rock and Roller can't really do it. Maybe if they're not into the shows, things like that, you know, what were the areas other than sort of the, the, the Muppet area where which would be attractive to kids with the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience um, or Honey, I Shrunk the Kids play area? This is one that is is very much an attractor to kids, but I was very pleasantly surprised at just how much I liked uh, RC racers. 
Yeah, it's it's a great area, and you know, it kind of looks like it, it's like Andy built an area in his backyard. That's what I would describe it as. You know, it's like he took a bunch of his toys outside and and left them out there, and that's kind of how they 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 themed it. Uh, even the entrance, you know, I think it. If I remember, there's like some box tops and like you know ripped up pieces of cardboard to kind of you know frame it out to make like maybe he made a little fort area and some other things. Um, it, it was very cool, and it's it's definitely like like we said, very kid friendly because it's very colorful um the slinky dog ride is very very cute with the giant slinky dog he's huge and uh it it draws you in but yeah that rc ride if they bring that down that would be awesome yeah and i'm trying to remember the content i i i know that they're having a slinky dog attraction um and they're gonna have some sort of um aren't they gonna have an attraction based on little green men and the claw i don't know if the rc racer is coming to Disney's Hollywood Studios. Maybe not. Maybe it's not. But it uh, it's deceptive in just how much fun it is. Because again, I, I did think it was that you know um, you know your your school fair or or carnival sure. type type ride. So it was a uh, it was a nice surprise. Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. So uh, making my way back over to the other side of the park, I was really curious to visit their Tomorrowland. Uh, in their Tomorrowland, they have an Autopia, the Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters, the Orbitron, which is their version of, uh, I was going to call it Star Jets, um, <laughs> their version <laughs> of the Astro Orbiter, Space Mountain, Stitch Encounter, and the UFO Zone, which is sort of an outdoor interactive play area the first thing i had to go and see man was space mountain to compare and contrast i loved the queue area um the, the theming in the queue area and it very much felt like it, it, it look it's the classic disney coaster right it's it's you know we're all familiar with what it is but i felt that um it's it was darker in there and and i don't know how to to say it you see a lot more in terms of like glowing planets like there are physical props in there in terms of some of the planets that you that you're going by yeah they used uh they used uh less projections i feel and uh, like you said more real props so th- there are like spinning planets right at the top of one of the crests of the hills and um you know and obviously it's the most updated version of space mountain where it does have the music and uh and those kinds of things so it's a very uh multi uh sensory um, experience. And, um, I think they did a very good job with it. I, you know, I, I kind of hope that if they ever were to update space mountain at Disney world, they would follow this one. Cause it is like, it's like they plus the version they did at Disneyland in California when they opened it here. And I think this one is very, very smooth too. Yes. It is probably the smoothest roller coaster I've ever been on. Yeah. It, uh, it was extremely smooth. Even, even the updated version at Disneyland, sometimes when you hit the top of the crest of a hill, it has a little bit of a hop in it, a little bit of a jerk. You don't get any right. of that on this Space Mountain. And the, maybe it's due in part not just to the fact that it's newer, but the ride vehicles themselves are different. Uh, you sit side by side, but instead of like Disneyland's, I think we're side by side with two in a, in a car. There's six in a car here. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's much tighter. Um, I, I I don't know how they did it, but <laughs> they did a, they did a much better job. And like you said, even the the queue is uh, is everything seems plussed to the version at Disneyland. So if you've seen Disneyland's version, just imagine it done even better with uh, with more glowing objects. And even like the the area of the load area has you know it's just so much brighter um, as far as like. 
I don't even know how to describe it. You know what I mean? It's a, it's just uh, it's over the top. It's it's very it's it's very cool. Yeah, and I, I wish I had time to see their Buzz Lightyear to see how it compared with the the world and land version. Same thing with Autopia. Uh, yep. I didn't get a chance to to see other how's so how is their Buzz maybe different or similar to the other ones? So their Buzz is pretty cool. Um, the the uh, queue area is is nice because uh, when you first walk in, there's kind of a you walk in and you go around like one turn and then you do, you get the reveal of Buzz Lightyear just like you would at, uh, at Disney world, but he's not like back off on a stage. He's literally right there and the queue kind of wraps around him. So you get almost like uh, 180 degrees of, of walking right by him. You can almost reach out and touch him. And it's like, he's right there talking to you. It's very well done animatronic. Uh, and then of course, um, the actual ride itself has the removable blasters, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So you can actually kind of reach over and shoot behind you if you missed one and, and those kinds of things. So, uh, the ride itself, very similar. Um, some of the scenes are a little different, but not anything too crazy. Uh, so very, very similar, but, uh, I do like that removable blaster. Uh, it makes it fun. Yeah, and I was disappointed that I didn't get to see the Stitch Encounter show. Uh, I had just missed the last of the English versions, and just because of time, I didn't have time to go and see the, uh, the, the Chinese version. And it's not Stitch's Great Escape, right? It's not the same type of a, um, a theater on the round experience. This is a little bit more, is it more like a turtle talk with Crush? Yeah, there's no uh, there's no chili burps in in your nose, so that's a, that's always a plus. Uh, yes, a, a turtle talk with Crush is probably the best way to describe it, uh, except done with Stitch, uh, and uh, you know you, the kids get to go and ask him questions, and uh, you know he interacts with the audience, and uh, at the end, you know Captain Gantu tries to capture him, and it's a little scene, and um, it, it's fun. It's 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 just a lot of fun, and um, it's. Uh, yeah, it's like Turtle Talk with Crush. That's the best way to say it. <laughs> I mean, there's not too much more to say about it outside of yeah. that. But, uh, you know, if you like Stitch, you'd really enjoy the attraction. So, Yeah, I wanted to ride their Orbitron. just be- And Astro Orbiter is not my favorite attraction. But here it's different because instead of rocket ships, they have um, round sort of UFOs. It, it's very much a UFO-themed area, right? Even the, the dining area in that UFO zone. It's sort of a very 50s style um, circular UFO. So same same type of experience, but uh, also not on top of something like Rocket Tower Plaza, like Disneyland's. It's it's just a little bit lifted up off the ground. Yeah, it's not too high off. And uh, it's I didn't write it either because it's basically the, the same idea. But uh, um, it, it's very nice to look at, though. But yeah, it's, if you ever get to see pictures, it's, it's pretty cool. A lot of the UFOs um, all over that area. And the one thing I didn't get to ride that I was disappointed um, was Main Street USA. We sort of glossed over it. You know, they have an art of animation exhibit in there. They have an animation academy. But I did not get a chance to ride the railroad. Um, I didn't realize that the railroad had closed at six o'clock. I was hoping to ride it later on in the evening and I had just missed it. Um, They do have, I, I believe, a Fantasyland station and just a Main Street station, right? Those are the only two. Yeah, uh, I believe it's those only two stops, and uh, you know it's it's more just about the train ride uh, there. They, they don't have any uh, real special um, special scenes or anything like that on it. Um, not like at Disneyland where they have that entire you know scene before you get back to Main Street. Um, it, this is just very much a ride on a steam train. So let's get to the really important stuff. You know, who are we kidding? The attractions are nice, but uh, we were we were all curious about the food, and it's prevalent. Um, there is a lot of food everywhere. Like all the attractions, not only are there a number of sit-down and quick-service restaurants, 
but there are a number of very 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 unique carts and i say that because my first encounter with a cart was when i was walking through to um adventureland i was going over to take a picture to see what was there and the first item that i saw available for sale was the korean squid (laughs) (laughs) which was it looked like a piece of cod or grouper that was going through like a grilling press. Like it sort of came out like the, like almost like you put a piece of toast in that machine and it comes out toasted. That's what this machine looked like. Um, and because it was my, I just got there and I had a 14 hour flight coming up. I did not, uh, I'm usually an adventurous eater, but I did not try the Korean squid. Yeah, well, you definitely weren't going to get me to try that. So uh, <laughs> I am not as adventurous as you. Uh, so for me, uh, food when I first went was a worry. But like I said earlier in the in the show, um, you don't have to worry about about the food. There are plenty of Western uh, options there. But you and I were talking offline. One of the the really cool things about the food at this park is outside of the major restaurants. They have displays of what the food looks like. So it's not just the menu, uh, which they do have in English and in Chinese, uh, but they also have actual meals in bowls, you know, under a piece of glass so that you can see what the food looks like. And that's really, really helpful um, because I went and I ate at a restaurant and I love this name. How did I not think of this before? It was a restaurant called Festival of Foods instead of Festival of Fools, uh, like Hunchback of Notre Dame. And fortunately, they had not just a menu out front, so you don't have to waste a lot of time online, but they also had those displays. So you really got a sense of what it was that you were eating. Quickly going back to the cart, um, on the cart itself, like you said, having comfortable foods there as well, in addition to things like the Korean squid, they also had turkey legs, they had jumbo hot dogs, they had corn on the cob. Um, They also had Korean fish cakes in seafood or cheese flavor. Again, I'm daring. I just ran out of time to to try it. But every restaurant that I walked by, um, including places like the Explorers Club, which unfortunately was closed. I was really, really disappointed because they have a, a wonderful menu that had, and it was broken down by Indonesian spices, Korean treasures, Southeast Asian delights, and flavors of Japan with about three or four different items on there. So it could be, you know, barbecue short ribs, um, deep fried chicken, bento boxes, a a Vietnamese beef rice noodle soup combo, uh, a mixed seafood with sambal sauce combo. So it's a great place. If you want to be adventurous, this is definitely the the place to go. But I went to uh, Festival of Foods, where they broke it down, it really is uh, the great flavors of China is what they call it. So they had four, three different barbecue items, three different noodle items, and three different wok items. Um, and they had barbecue pork and marinated chicken and duck breast. And I went with the, let's see, I went, which one did I go? I had the, uh, the dumplings and... Oh wait, I can't seem to find it on my uh, on my photos. But basically, it, it was Chinese dumplings on like a dried like a, a roe noodle, and everything came with soup. Um, it, it everything seems to have a side of, of soup with it. Yeah, well, then that's very much a Chinese style. Is uh, they'll have some sort of hot soup with with most of their meals, uh, and a lot of times it's at the end, which is interesting too. Uh, but. Um, 
but yeah, I, I've ate there myself. The dumplings are are fantastic. I, I forgot what I got. Some sort of noodle dish. Um, I tend to play it kind of safe, but uh, but I've ate there and and the food was was amazing. It was it was very very good. Yeah. So I had the it was shrimp wontons and dried shrimp roe noodle combo, uh, which had a very um, it had a very distinct seafoody smell. So if you're not a seafood person, that probably would not have been for you. But they also had duck and pork and chicken. Um, food there as well uh, had a nice bowl of soup on the side and um, the one thing I noticed too and I had seen this in the Philippines as well fruit juices are prevalent and they have freshly bottled juices that they offered and I asked which was her favorite and she recommended a mango juice which was, I mean it literally felt like the, uh, the woman had just taken a mango and squeezed the juices out of it right into the bottle yeah, if you would have asked me what juice do they recommend, I would have told you mango. Mango is <laughs> is huge in that area. But uh, yeah, fruit juice is uh, you know just like we would order you know a water or a soda at a restaurant. They usually order uh, some sort of hot tea, kind of come standard with a meal, and uh, they'll a lot of uh, Chinese will order you know some sort of fresh pureed fruit, and that's kind of what it is. And uh, I don't know if your mango had a lot of pulp in it. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but. Um, it's extremely fresh and so good. You know, really and they don't. Good. Yeah, and and, it's, and that's really all it is. Is sometimes they'll blend it with some kiwi or some sort of other fruit to give it some more sweetness. But um, all of their fruit juices are just fantastic. Yeah, I had seen it in the airport. Um, I had eaten in the airport a number of times because I, I had long layovers <laughs> uh, on the front and the back end. And and there was a a lot of different varieties of of juices and the the bobo teas. Um, one thing I noticed too were. Uh, the prevalence of frozen treats on a lot of the carts, and there was usually about six or seven different ones. They had like an orange ice bar, a sherbet bar, they had a Mickey bar, a mini bar, a, uh, a Lotso sherbet bar, and a few others. And they had this really cool, and I, I ran out of time, unfortunately. Um, they had this chocolate banana dipper, and it almost looks like yes. they hollowed out a banana, sliced it up, dipped the individual slices in chocolate, and then stuck it back in a banana. Yeah, those are really good. Oh, <laughs> That's exactly how what it is is uh, exactly how you described it. There, and again, a lot of that goes back to most of the time it's really hot in Hong Kong, so you do want something cool, something refreshing. Um, and I love how a lot of them are called frozen lollipops, even if it's like a Mickey bar. So it's just kind of a cool way to describe it. But uh, yeah, a lot of cold uh, treats in in the carts um, and different uh, different flavors of popcorn too. Oh, There's so yeah. many popcorn flavors there. There's <laughs> There's a curry and caramel, and I think there's a cheese flavor, if I remember. Uh, but just a lot of variety in the food. It's amazing how many different foods there are in just such a small park when you compare it to, like, you know, uh, one of our parks where, like, a Disneyland, where it's like, you know, you can find a turkey leg, a churro, and a piece of corn in either, you know, Fantasyland or on Main Street or in Adventureland, it, it, where it kind of repeats here. It seems like every cart is more unique. Yeah, I'm a big popcorn fan, and one of the things I was really looking forward to was hopefully sampling all of the different flavors that they had, and I stopped. I started and stopped at curry because my goal was to just taste a little bit and then move on to another one so I could taste them all, and I literally stood in the middle of Tomorrowland and ate the entire thing myself. Don't judge me. <laughs> it was that good. I may or may not have licked, licked my fingers as well. It was phenomenal. It was really, really good, and, and it's not – when you think of curry, it's not – hot spice curry it's sort of like um it's a curry spice but not spicy 
Yeah, it's it's more like a yellow curry flavor where it's that that sweeter curry, right? You know, and uh, I I did the same thing. I, I'm not judging. I I bought a box and <laughs> asked asked for a bag at the uh, at the Emporium and uh, may have taken it on the plane with me. So you know, <laughs> I had a nice snack. So no, it, it is that good. But uh, yeah, it, the popcorn flavors are amazing. And they and like World and Land, they have not just the the Tie Fighters and some of the other souvenir. I mean, they probably had four or five different souvenir buckets that you could have chosen, including uh, like a 10th anniversary Mickey balloon type bucket. Um, Again, very, very heavy on characters. Uh, Even my popcorn bucket had, you know, Chip and my my popcorn, I didn't have a whole bucket, but my popcorn box had, uh, you know, Chip and Dale on it. Yeah. Characters are definitely uh, prominent in this park. Um, Whereas sometimes I feel like certain areas of, of parks here in the States tend to shy away from them. They're definitely integrated in every area of this park. And uh, and to your point before about uh, more uh, American-style food, there's one place called the Starliner Diner in Tomorrowland, which is like, the you know, we say, oh, we're going to a Chinese restaurant. That would be like saying, let's go to the American restaurant because it's hamburgers, chicken breast, fried chicken, fish burger, uh, chicken wings. Uh, they have, you know, kids burgers and things like that. So, if you're concerned, if you're going and saying, "I look, I just need to get me a hamburger," you can certainly get that from a uh, a quick service location as well. Yeah, that's that's usually my go-to because I've already been in China for <laughs> several weeks. <laughs> while when I get there, so I'm like, I need a burger. So I, that's usually where I will go. Uh, and uh, again, to to your point about characters, I've been in there before and had Pluto serve me my lunch. So awesome. you know, they they have characters everywhere, and I've seen them in the restaurants behind the counters like you know pretending to cook and serving people food so it, it just adds a little more magic to the experience and just quickly staying in in tomorrowland or heading back to tomorrowland where i had my oh so delicious curry popcorn uh i, I missed autopia because i was too busy <laughs> eating the popcorn i feel your pain about seeing the signs for mystic manor coming but not open because i was excited yet somewhat frustrated to see the scaffolding and the work and the the logos for the Stark Expo Iron Man experience, which is Ooh. coming later on this year. Ah, see, I didn't even know about that. That sounds very interesting. So, again, uh, if you want to tag along in September. Yeah, you know, but listen, with- uh, I, you know, research trip uh, definitely sa- – I mean, I, I had seen concept art for it when it was announced, and I'm like, oh, I'm never going to get out to, to Hong Kong. Um, then when I went this trip, I'm like, well, I have to go because I'm never going to come back out to Hong Kong. But I think now I need to go back, um, just to see what this is, because again, the attractions there are just done so, so very well. Yeah. Um, I'm in on this trip and if we have to, (laughs) if we have to do a layover in Tokyo to get there, um, you know, we, maybe we could swing that too. Dude, we're there. I mean, look, Shanghai is right around the corner. Like it's a 10 minute cab ride. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, just a couple other quick things. And I want to touch on something, you know, going back to characters, if you go to the character page on the Hong Kong Disneyland site, I mean, there's probably... 25 different characters that they list in terms of who they are and where you can actually find them. 
It really is a big deal, um, especially as, uh, in addition, they also celebrate a lot of special events. So, you know, especially here at World, we've got, you know, Halloween, we've got Christmas, we've got Easter. All so here they celebrate everything from their version of a haunted Halloween. I think what I'm experiencing or what I was experiencing right now was something called the springtime extravaganza. And on your map, they have this really cool uh, character Easter egg hunt. And I know you can do something like this in uh, World Showcase right now. But there's got to be, I'm doing a quick look, probably 40 or 50 different character eggs that you can find throughout the park. Um, it's free and it's, it's on your map. Um, and they celebrate, um, you know, Christmas out, out there as well. So it'd be really neat to see what it would be like to visit there during one of the holidays. But I will tell you, I, I prefaced this by saying how empty the park was and how everything that I mean every single attraction was five minutes I mean which basically meant you're walking onto it the busiest part of the park by far not even close was the shops on Main Street USA yes uh, Main Street is <laughs> you, the, like you said you could walk right on everything you walk into the shops on Main Street and you feel like wishes just got over it sometimes they, they are crowded Um the merchandise, Disney merchandise, does extremely well uh, over there. And I, you and I were talking earlier that you know the Zoom Zooms, you know, they're they're everywhere over there. The ones that you can't find here in the states yet. So they release so many new things over there first. And uh, a lot of times, like my kids love it because I'll come back with all these things that you know we won't see in our parks for maybe six months later. And uh, and it's because uh, the Disney merchandise uh, over there sells so well. Yeah, I mean, I went to the archive shop at Mystic Point, and I loved how well-themed, and I wanted to start, like, grabbing a million things up, but it was early on in my trip, and I had noticed a lot of, like, the trading post in Adventureland and some of the other little, you know, treasure places in, in Fantasyland, but their version of uh, the Emporium, it was like Black Friday with 50% off coupons in there. It was insane. It was, in I mean, people with and by people, I mean me too, baskets and baskets of merchandise and long lines and, and you know, very crowded. And I'm like, what are they giving away today? Um, but I, I guess it's just like that all the time. And, and to your point, we were talking about characters and the plush. I mean, they love that there's a, a ton of plush and tons of Tsum Tsums, which, of course, I had to bring back because especially they had like this 10th anniversary pack, which I don't know what it actually cost me in American dollars. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we talk about the pricing of the admission being less, but the pricing of the merchandise is pretty much on par with um, with what you'd find in, in the States. Yeah, Um Ticket prices cheaper, food cheaper, merchandise the same. Um, and a lot of times, a lot of the merchandise, uh, as we've discovered with the parks in the States, it's the same thing. It just has a different logo on it. Um, you know, you'll find the same Mickey plush, except it says Hong Kong Disney on it instead of Disneyland. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the merchandise, uh, just because the exchange rate uh, does not affect most of the items over there. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of Duffy, that, that, a lot of love for Duffy, a lot of Duff, a lot of love for Shelley May as well. Mm -hmm. um, lots of different outfits. I mean, I, I was able to bring back because I was really looking for things that were unique to Hong Kong Disneyland, not just in terms of the label that was on it. So, um, you know, I found some stuff that just had some logo. Obviously, there's there's a lot of pins. Um, they did have some unique Tsum Tsums and they had this sort of 10th anniversary pack that 
I, I just had to bring home and my kids fortunately lost their minds in, in a good way um, when I did. Um, well, you know, they have some of the similar shops, though. So uh, some of the stores on Main Street are very familiar. There's the Crystal Arts store. They have the Emporium. Uh, there's the jewelry store, you know, which has the purses and the jewelry. Um, one called Center, uh, Center Street Boutique, which has, you know, houseware and uh, posters and those kinds of things, watches. So a lot of the, a lot of the uh, shops on Main Street are very similar to what you'd find in the other parks. Again, it's just some of them have more uh, unique um, uh, items of merchandise. Like you'll find a lot of Mickey char- or Disney characters wearing uh, traditional Chinese apparel and uh, those kinds of things that you probably would not see in the States. Also, uh, a lot of tie-in with Hong Kong. The city itself, so you'll see pins with Mickey Mouse walking down the streets of Hong Kong, uh, whereas maybe you might see something like that at like a New York Disney store, but you wouldn't see it in the parks. Yeah, and that's some of the things I was looking for, and I, I brought back a couple of small, they had like these small sort of magnetic clip-on plushes of Mickey and Minnie in traditional Chinese garb, which really sort of, you know, to me sort of screamed, you know, the fact that, that the park was in China. Yeah, definitely, and... Uh, it's just uh, they they definitely tie back into their culture with a lot of uh, a lot of the characters. Whereas you would think maybe uh, people in Hong Kong may want something more Western. They have a good mix. So it, 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 we obviously are are going long because we're trying to cover an entire park and, and so much to it. You know, I think that there are definitely some things if you go that are must do's and some things that I think are must do's that I missed because there's also a lot of of entertainment and shows. Um, I really wanted to see their version of Festival of the Lion King, which I understand is beautiful, and their version of Mickey and the Wondrous Book, which I believe is probably like Disneyland's Mickey and the Magical Map. Yeah, um, I have not gotten to see either of those. Um, because Again, a lot of it because of timing. Uh, but last time I was there, uh, they did not have the, uh, the last one you mentioned. They didn't have that one. They actually had the Golden Mickeys from the cruise line. They had that. They had that show when I was there last time, and uh, I know that got updated with the new one. Uh, so that, and I've heard that they do that every once in a while. Is they'll roll in some of the shows from the cruise line into that park uh, as you know, just a regular show attraction. Yeah, and I wish, like I said, I wish you know I had time just to see uh, some more of those things because, like you said, I did the park. I mean, I saw quote unquote everything in the park in probably five, six hours rushing through. But I think the park is definitely meant to be uh, done in two days, right? We didn't even talk about things like the the paint the night parade. They have a fireworks show. They've got, you know, other stuff going on throughout the day in terms of, of entertainment offerings too. Yeah, and let's not forget that they also have two uh, unique Disney hotels over there also. So, you know, you can make it a weekend trip or you can make it a week trip if you want it. But they have the Hong Kong Disneyland Hotel, which is very much like the Grand Floridian. And then they have the Disney Hollywood Hotel, which is, uh, I would consider it a moderate resort if you're comparing it to Mm -hmm. Disney World. Um, So they have those two hotels, which I've never even seen, nor do I know where they're at in the area. (laughs) Because like you walk, that concourse when you walk in is so grand uh, and you just kind of instantly veer over to the parks. But I know they're within walking distance to the park. So that's that's going to be my mission next time I'm there is to check out the hotels because I've seen the pictures uh, from again from my friend uh, on her Facebook account. And it those they look uh, beautiful. So I need to go find them. They must be on the backside of that giant mountain that we thought was fake. (laughs) Right. And there's um, uh, I know when I was 
looking on on the way out in terms of some you know there's like Walt Disney World and Disneyland, <clears throat> there's dining experiences there too. And I love that there's a place known as Walt Cafe. Um, they have an enchanted garden, which I wonder how closely that might tie into things like um, the enchanted garden on the the Disney Cruise Line, right? So we're talking about the Golden yep. Mickey's having coming over. So, um, Chef Mickey's. Yeah. So it, it would be neat to uh, to check out the hotels too, because like you said, you don't see them as, you know, when you just come in, to the park, it's not like uh, California Adventure where you can see the uh, the hotels right there, or even some places like um, you know Epcot, and the, the hotels are right outside. Um, so I think that you know, in sort of wrapping it all up, I think that there's a lot of reasons to go. Right, I think there's a lot of things that are um, not just familiar, but but certainly very unique. I think places like Mystic Point and Mystic Manor and their Adventureland and their uh, um, the the Grizzly Gulch, right? Taking your word for it in terms of that attraction, and just the the um, the Asian influence um, and the cultural aspects of the park are reasons to go. But is it one of those things that you? I, I don't think that I would take a trip to Hong Kong just to go to Hong Kong Disneyland. But if you are in Asia, like it's, I think it's a place that you need to go to. If that makes any sense. No, I would 100% agree. I would not – and a lot of it is just because of the financial investment, right? I mean it's not cheap to get over to Hong Kong or to Asia in general. Um, you know, Flights over are in the thousands, I mean even for economy. So if you're taking your family, it does get expensive. So uh, if I was there for business or if I was going to spend a week in Hong Kong and experience the city, uh, I would definitely carve out some time to go there. And uh, with Hong Kong being a major hub to most of Asia – uh, chances are if you were even planning a trip to Shanghai, you could go through Hong Kong first and uh, make a stopover. So um, definitely if you're in the area or if you have plans to go to China or if you're in China um, and, again, you know, China being we're acting like China's the size of you know Florida, but you know, <laughs> it's a huge country, obviously. So depending where you're at in China. But if you're in that Southeast Asia area and uh, you have an opportunity to go, it's definitely worth the trip to go. Yeah, and I think you hit on all the right points, right? The, the park itself has that unique uh, feel and Asian flair to it. Uh, I think Hong Kong, I, I wish I would have been able to spend more time in Hong Kong because I want to see the history and the culture and obviously the food. Um, and if you do go, you can't, and I would a lot, two days for Hong Kong Disneyland so you can really see it and appreciate it because it is not... Um, <laughs> It's easy to get to, right? I mean, it's you know, just hop on the plane. It's not close. Um, you know, coming from Florida, I realized as I was traveling to the Philippines and I landed in Hong Kong that if I would have gone any further, I would have started on my way back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, because it really is on the other side of the planet. Um, you know, even if you get a, a direct flight to Hong Kong from L.A., uh, you're looking at a 14 plus hour flight, and um, it, it's. It's easy, and the the airline is wonderful, but it is definitely an investment of, of time and and money to get there. So I think the play, especially with Shanghai opening up this summer, is to hit Shanghai and Hong Kong if you can. And as long as you're extending, you might. I mean, look, Tokyo, like I said, is right down the street. So, right. Not, and if you not really, if you, but. <laughs> and if you want to swing by Alani on the way home, you know, it's just it's on the way. It's a little hop, right? You need a stopover yeah. somewhere. You know, right, exactly. I stopped in Vancouver on my way. To, I, I took a weird way back. I went from Hong Kong 
to New York, not realizing, realizing I had a quick stopover in uh, in Vancouver. But um, mm. again, getting nothing out of it other than recommending to friends Cathay Pacific. Thanks to you, Frank, is is definitely the uh, the airline to take. It made for a wonderful experience. I would suggest if you are thinking about it, but had any concerns, whether it be for safety, security, language barrier, food, ease of, of getting to it. I will tell you, as a, uh, a solo traveler, it was very, very simple to do. I felt very, very comfortable, felt very safe from the second I got on the plane to when I was in the airport, in the cab, and when I got certainly onto Disney property. The cast members, um, you know, again, there, there are cultural differences, but they are clearly Disney cast members and they are very, very helpful. Um, the woman who was serving me at Festival of Foods, um, I, I felt like it was my aunt or my grandmother talking to me and explaining the different dishes and why I need to try the mango juice because it was that good. So uh, I got that same type of, you know, Disney magic and Disney feel and the, the same type of customer service when I went there. Yeah, if you're going to go to a park overseas, I mean... Obviously, we haven't been to Shanghai yet. I've never been to Tokyo, but uh, from a, a transportation and from a language barrier place, uh, Hong Kong is a place to go because, again, with it formerly being under Britain rule, there are so many English-speaking people there, and English is you know almost where Spanish has become so dominant here in the States. English is there, and uh, almost everything has an English translation. It's very easy to get around. Chances are if the first guy didn't speak English, the next guy you talk to does. And um, to your point, the cast members there are amazing. And when you are in that park and as isolated as you feel within those mountains, it has that Disney magic, and you you get that little touch of, of Disney even uh, you know 7,000 miles away from Disney World. So. Yeah, great experience, uh, and thank you so much for suggesting it to me and giving me the the comfort <laughs> to uh, the com- you know the comfort to be able to go and the uh, and, and the encouragement to do so because I would have re- certainly regretted not doing it. And uh, who knows, maybe in this week's trivia contest, I'll even have a little something to give away from Hong Kong Disneyland, which is really the reason why I went was just to get the cool merchandise too. Uh, <laughs> Frank Hart, thank you so much, man. We uh, we have a lot of wonderful adventures together and you've been on the show in the past and talking about places like Skipper Cave. It seems to always be around food um, and some of the other great things we've done together. So I really appreciate it. And uh, we will have to talk about... Uh, you know, maybe a little uh, a research trip, a buddy comedy research trip. You and I going out to uh, hit some of the other Asian parks this year as well. Well, that sounds like a plan, and I'll put it on my calendar. Thanks, brother. Okay, Lou, uh, Shishe and Sai Chen. I got nothing. Shishe, Shishe. Am I saying it wrong? Have I been saying it wrong the whole time? Shishe, uh, Shishe. People say it so many ways. I don't even know the right way to say it. For our Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history, or see why you pay attention to the details—not just in what you see, but sometimes in what you hear—and if you think you know the answer, you can enter via email for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. 
So as you remember, on the last show, we were talking about Disney and New Orleans and the influence of real New Orleans on not just Walt Disney World, but Disneyland and Walt himself. And the question that I asked you, surprisingly, was not about the oh-so-delicious food that I miss so very much in New Orleans, but what I asked you was to tell me what famous real location in New Orleans is the Port Orleans French Quarter gift shop named after? Thanks and congratulations to so many of you that entered and got this one correct Bonus points, not that they were being given out in real life, but bonus points given to so many of you that added your own stories about being in Jackson Square or the history behind the park in the French Quarter where Louisiana became a U.S. territory with the Louisiana Purchase. I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week you were playing not just for the 102 ways to save money for an at Walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, both of which you can find in the shop at www.radio.com, but a WDW Radio Magic Band cover and special Mardi Gras beads brought straight from New Orleans. It sounds like a line from a song from Princess and the Frog, but last week's winner, randomly selected, is Natalie Levine. So, Natalie, thank you and congratulations. Email me your address. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay. Forget it. Put the past behind you because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So obviously you know the question has to be about Hong Kong Disneyland. And even if you haven't been there before, that's okay because it's just a fun little bit of trivia I want to share with you. Because the Hong Kong Disneyland Railroad has three locomotives in its fleet. The Walter E. Disney, obviously a tribute to Walt. The Roy O. Disney, co-founder and Walt's brother. And there's your question. Tell me, what is the name of the third locomotive on the Hong Kong Disneyland Railroad line? You have until Sunday, March 27th at 11.59 p.m. to email your answer to contest at wdwradio.com. And this week, you're playing for... The 102 Ways to Save Money for Not Walt Disney World book and all seven of the audio tours or what's behind door number two, you can win a WW Radio Magic Band cover, a Hong Kong Disneyland map, and a Hong Kong Disneyland mystery prize from the bevy and bag of souvenirs that I brought home. It could be a pin, a plush, a pen, a Tsum Tsum, who knows? So good luck and have fun. Shay Shay. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time and tune in this and every week and for sharing my Hong Disneyland experience with you. If you've been to Hong Kong Disneyland or if you're thinking about going, let me know. Leave a, your comments over at www.radio.com slash 440 or tweet me at Lou Mangiello or go to facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. Tell me about your experiences at Hong Kong Disneyland. Want to quickly continue the thanks to all the new members of the WW Radio Nation and family, including Brian Becker, Katie Hayes, and Jessica Pitcairn. I sincerely appreciate all the love and the support. And if you want to help the show and get exclusive rewards every month, including scavenger hunts, access to our private Facebook group, personalized Magic Band covers, logo gear, backpack, t-shirts, care packages every month from Walt Disney World, our monthly live video group calls and more, visit www.radio.com support. Also be sure and visit www.radio.com. Check out our daily blog. We've got some great March Madness Disney stuff going on there. Subscribe to our free email newsletter and be part of the community. 
Also, if you have a question you want me to answer on the air, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com, or just call the voicemail. Be part of the show and on the air at 407-900-9391. Don't forget to please follow me over on Facebook at facebook.com slash Mangello and join me every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern as I broadcast live either from the home studio or out in the parks. It's a great way for us to chat real time and sometimes bring you a little bit of Disney right from the parks. Again, that's facebook.com slash Follow me there and turn on your notifications. I'm also at Lumangelo on all the social. And of course, as much as I love connecting with you online, there's nothing that beats a handshake and a hug. So check out our events page or my events at facebook.com slash including our monthly meetups in Walt Disney World and events on the road. The next meet of the month is going to be Saturday, April 16th. That is during the Star Wars Half Marathon Weekend. Stay tuned to the events page and Twitter and Facebook for exact location and times. And look for other events on the road. I'll also be in Iowa the first weekend in April. We're planning an event or events in Chicago over the weekend of July 15th, which is also the weekend of the Rock and Roll Half Marathon. I'll, Saturday, June 4th, I'll be speaking at the Ed Camp Magic Conference in Orlando. And in November, it's our big e-ticket adventure on the Disney Magic from New York to and in Puerto Rico. Again, visit the events page at www.radio.com for more information. I'll be doing other events as I travel throughout the country and obviously now throughout the world, uh, speaking at conferences and to businesses. And if I can help you by maybe coming to speak to your school or at your conference or to your business, visit lumangelo.com. And maybe if I can help you turn your passion into your profession with some personal mentoring or group coaching, you can also check out lumangelo.com for more information. Thank you, as always, to Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider. And when you go to Hong Kong Disneyland, because hopefully now you're going to want to and have to go. Becky and her team of agents can help you plan your trip there. Tokyo, Shanghai, Disneyland, Aulani, New Orleans, Buffalo, Schenectady, Walla Walla, wherever it is that you're going, they can help you. Check them out over at mousefantravel.com and visit Celebrations Press to get some Disney magic delivered right to your door or digital device. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, Please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links and comment over on Facebook. And please review the show over on iTunes. It's incredibly helpful. And thanks to you, we have more than 1,100 five-star reviews. Would love for you to keep them coming. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Derek and Marissa Marin, Sue and Jordan. OrcaPod95085 says, love the show. Brenda Lee, 1981 says, it is the best podcast, all caps, Ever. She says, a former employee introduced me to the show over a year ago. It's been one of the best things to enter my life. Thank you, Lou, for the tips, advice, fun banter, warm friendliness, and encouragement. Your podcast makes me feel like I'm there with you and part of the extended family. Brenda, you most certainly are. Also, thanks to Fitzer1201 and Maureen's17, who's gone over and listened to every show over the past year. And she has to say, it's the best. It's positive, fun, entertaining, and it truly brightens up your morning commute. Thank you, Maureen. Again, you can visit www.radio.com slash iTunes for instructions on how to rate and review the show or just search for WW Radio in iTunes. And finally, and most importantly, my sincerest thanks to you. I would not be able to do what I do and live this amazing life without you and the love and the support and the encouragement that you give. And I want you to do the same thing. Whatever it is that you're dreaming of in your personal life or your business life, I want you to start taking steps to go do it. And maybe 
maybe it's time to burn the boats, right? And what do I mean by that? The story goes that is that explorer Hernando Cortez, when he landed in Mexico, he told his army to burn the boats that they came in so that they had no way of retreating, right? Failure was not an option because sometimes you need to take that big leap of faith and go all in. So think how differently you might behave, the risks you might take in work and in life if failure was simply not an option. Remember that in order to succeed, you have to fully commit. And if you want lasting motivation, burn your boats. Amazing things happen when there is no plan B. Go burn your boats, have faith, have an amazing, amazing week, and thank you again so, so very much. So until next time, Shay Shay, see ya. Oh, Nick from Milwaukee. Finished listening to your Pantreon uh, Cafe review. People call in. No matter what, the time of my vacation, every time I go down there, it's Pantreon Cafe. Combo platter, swarma platter. Sit outside, watch somebody walk by. I'll uh, I'll even ruin a dinner for it. It's, uh, it's fantastic every single time. So appreciate the review. Keep up with the great shows. Hello, Lou. This is Mike Graham calling from Minnesota. Uh, just getting done with our 15-day trip to Walt Disney World. We stayed seven lake, days at Bay Lake Towers, four days at Beach Club, and four days in the RV. At Fort Wilderness on the way back now, just got so busy, couldn't call you from the park. So I just wanted to check in and say hi, and hi to everybody, and thanks again for all you do. Thanks, Lou. Hello, Lou Mangiello. It's Charlene Maggie from West Seneca, New York. Calling with our countdown for a sail out of New York City to the Caribbean. It's going to be so exciting. We have 226 days until that adventure, the e-ticket adventure, as you are calling it, is going to be with us. I can't wait. And I know my friend from work who's coming with me, Karen, is going to be so excited to see everybody and meet everybody and to be on a Disney cruise for the first time. She sailed before, but a Disney cruise is a new one for her. It was on her bucket list. Hi, Lou. This is Jennifer Lambert from Southgate, Michigan. My husband and I are sitting in the diving bell in Jacqueline's Beaker Bar having a couple of drinks. Uh, we've gotten some souvenir glasses, and I'm enjoying a actual diving bell. So thanks for the review a few weeks back. We really are enjoying it, and uh, have a magical day. You got a friend in me. Yeah. Swift as the coursing river, with all the force of a great typhoon, with all the strength of a raging fire, mysterious as the dark side of.